Welcome to the Invisible India podcast. I'm Jessica. And I'm Abhishek. We are a cross-cultural couple doing life in India, exploring the lesser-known mysteries of Indian culture, interviewing fascinating figures who have chartered new territories, and sharing life as we raise our multicultural family amongst the complexities of modern Indian life. Welcome to the Invisible India podcast. I'm really glad to be back with part two of South Asian transnational and cross-cultural adoption. Last time we heard from Jacob, who is a Tibetan Nepali adoptee who grew up in the United States. We also heard from Mahi, who is a Gujarati American mother who, with her husband, is now adopting an African-American little girl in the U.S. You're going to hear part two of Mahi's story today about identity, about blending cultures, and about learning as a parent how to embrace a different culture inside your home. We're also going to hear from Melinda, who is an Australian mom who actually raised her two Indian kids in India for most of their lives. So be sure to listen all the way to the end for her story and where they are now. I want you to listen this week for a lot of points about identity, about cross-cultural adjustment, about learning from other people, about opening your heart and your home, and about sharing your own culture with others. One thing that I love about all three of these stories, about Jacob, Mahi, and Melinda, is that there's a real leaning in to South Asian cultures and leaning into the culture of the person who was adopted. Jacob himself went back to Nepal and lived for five years, learned Nepali. Uh, Mahi herself is a very rooted and integrated Indian American, and then also now integrating African-American culture into her home out of respect for her daughter and for the African-American community in the city where she lives. And then Melinda and her family, their story is just so incredible of living in India for so many years and really raising their kids to be truly Indian and to really appreciate and know and love Indian culture, even though they had white parents. So listen for all these themes and these touching stories and would love to hear more from you guys about what you think. So let's get into part two of Mahi's story. So I, I'm just so curious, you know, being, you guys are very connected to the Indian community yes. uh, where you live, you know, being one of the few South Asian families I've seen that's, you've placed yourself intentionally in relationships with African-American families and, and, mm-hmm. and even the people that you guys both work with. Um, I'm just curious that like, what are the reactions from people? Mm-hmm both in the African-American community and then also in Mm -hmm. the Indian American community when they find out or when they see you guys together um, with a black daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's start with the Indian community. I think when we first started talking to this about this to family and friends, um, most of our, I'd say our parents' generation, so aunts, uncles, um, were a little skeptical at first mm-hmm. and they were like, why, why are you doing this? You are 
healthy, you can have your own kids. Why not just have more of your own kids? Um, you know, a lot of the stereotypical thoughts of, well, you, you know, have your own kids and then you can just, a lot of our family said, why don't you just donate to an organization or a community if you feel a heart for them? Like, why are you bringing a child into, why do you want to bring a child into your life, into your home? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I can see where they're coming from because it is something very radical that we're doing. Um, but that was all before, before our foster daughter came into our lives. After she came into our lives, like it was no longer a thought, it was a reality. Mm. Um, I have, we have at least two us in front of us, we have gotten nothing but love and support mm. from our families. Wonderful. Um, they have accepted her into um, their, their lives. She comes to all of the events with us. Um, one of uh, my husband uncles who came from India who comes pretty often he even you know brought her bought her a pair of like silver ginger when the first time he came to give to her so you know those sort of things that are traditional um they've included her um that's not to say there's not other conversations that we are obviously not hearing but um everybody has open openly accepted her because I think when you see this child all of the stereotypes you have about a certain group of people is mm. it's just not there anymore because mm-hmm. she is this little person, this little human being who all she wants is love from us. Yeah. You know, like, and, and they just, they've just given her this love. Um, oh, from, yeah. And so we, we have had nothing but positive experience with our families. Mm. Um, so that's been really good. Um, the, with, with the African-American community, again, I have gotten nothing but positive experiences. Um, my coworkers, my friends, um, they're really excited. Um, people have been, have said, you guys are doing a great thing. Um, and you know, we didn't do this for other people. Honestly, we did this for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just, it's been all around a good experience. Do I think that's going to change as she gets older? I definitely think it'll change as she gets older um, because as she grows up as a black woman in America, mm-hmm. her, she'll, she'll have different life experiences than necessarily I can uh, give her the background or insight into. Mm-hmm. And so I know, I know there'll be a shift in, in, in people's reaction to us mm-hmm. as she gets older. Mm-hmm. Um, I, again, I, I'm hoping we'll be able to find some, you know, positive, um, strong women to, to, to help her along her journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's lots of resources and friends and, and people who I know will be there to support me. Mm. So just the community that yeah. you guys have surrounded your, yourself with is, um, yeah, is, is so strong. And I'm, I'm yeah. so thankful that you're, that you're like, that you're in that community and that you're able to know that, Hey, I have resources I can draw on. And, and I yeah. think that's such a, um, just a humble approach to say like, there's certain things that I know I can't give her that 
are uh, that are deeply connected to her experience as she grows into a woman. And I think that's really humble of you to acknowledge that and so healthy and it's going to be so healthy for her as she grows. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's something that I think about all the time mm-hmm. and something I, I think is going to be probably a biggest challenge mm-hmm. in raising her. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I, I know there's people mm-hmm. who will be able to help us and support us through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about another aspect of this. Of um, We've talked a little bit, just a tiny little bit about, you know, how is, how do you hope she um, identifies with black culture? And you've already mm-hmm. insinuated that you're fully intention I- intending for her to be able to connect and to mm-hmm. and to um, really like discover her blackness in mm-hmm. even being inside of an Indian family. So mm-hmm. the, from the other side, so how are you? Um, how are you, you guys are very deeply connected with your, with Indian Gujarati culture and how do you, um, hope or how do you like, um, pass that on to her as well? I imagine you guys are teaching her Gujarati as long with your, along with your kids, you guys speak Gujarati and English at home. Yeah. As best as we can. Yeah. And I mean, she must celebrate Navratri with you guys. If if she Mm -hmm. danced Garba, I mean, you guys are are vegetarian like yes. tell me more about passing on your indianness to her as well yeah i mean i think we're we're passing on our indianness to her as just as we're doing with our biological boys mm-hmm. um nothing different i mean like you said she we at least i attempt as much as i can to talk to them in gujarati because i'm also first generation um I was born in, in the U.S., and so my Gujarati isn't the greatest. Um, it's pretty so as much- good. It's pretty good. You're being <laughs> humble, but it's pretty good. I, I feel like I can, uh, I can have a conversation like an app, like it's just an average conversation. If it gets into any sort of deep intellectual thought, I, I have to switch it to English. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's that. And, um, you know, the, the food, definitely a big part of our mm-hmm. culture. Um, and so she has all the food that we cook and she actually loves Gujarati food. She eats, <laughs> she, she eats kitcheny better than anyone in the family. Um, so she's participating in all that. Um, I bought like Indian clothes for her. We just went to India this, this um, uh, winter. So I brought back for her tons of clothes and um, tons of bank for her and she loves it um so we just she's just a part of our lives so anything I would do for any biological kid I'm doing for her as far Mm. as teaching her about Indian culture yeah wonderful and man I I I, it didn't even occur to me uh until you just said that you know you you couldn't take her with to India because the adoption is not that's right yet so yeah. yeah Um, yeah, we actually, we, act, and, and they're just still really young. Um, so we actually only took my oldest to India yeah. with us. My little one stayed here. Yeah. Both of them. Yeah. That makes sense. But, but as soon as we can, we definitely want to take her to India. Mm, that's going to yeah. be such an amazing experience. And I imagine it'll bring up a lot of good questions and good, yes. um, 
experiences for her mm-hmm. and for you guys and for your family and everyone that you guys meet. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just really appreciate you guys as people and your open-mindedness you. and open heart, your open hearts. And, um, you're just, you're just givers in so many ways. And, and, um, yeah, and I really just wanted to get your, your perspective on the podcast and, and, um, hear what your, your thoughts. So thank you so much. Thank you. Of course. So let's get into Melinda's story now. Melinda is an Australian mother of two who, as she'll explain, lived in India for several years before she and her family moved back to Australia. Hi, my name's Melinda. I'm a 60-year-old adoptive mother with a 60-year-old husband who, along with me, adopted two children from India. And I have two lovely kids who are 19 and 22. So we adopted these two when they were two years old, each of them, while we were living in India. This makes our story a little bit different than the average transnational or international adoption because we got to raise our kids in India for quite a long time. And also I lived in India for 25 years and was had very close friends there, was very connected, set up different projects. My latest and current one is a rural school just outside of Pune of nearly 800 kids and I'm WhatsApping nearly every day to the staff over there who were all local Indians. So our story is a bit different than the average international adoption story where kids are lifted out of their culture and just raised in the West. Yes. And Melinda, this is one of the reasons I wanted to interview you specifically is to talk about that kind of cultural extraction that often takes place and the pain that is involved. So can you tell us more about yourself? I'm a social worker by profession and early in my career in Australia, I was a probation officer for juveniles and I made a few adopted kids then who in their teen years were really wrestling with the fact that they were adopted, were not feeling connected to their adoptive parents and um, some of them were getting into trouble with the police. So I felt like I'd been sort of exposed through my work to some of the challenges that can come up with adoption. Um, Also, when we adopted, we had a seminar we had to attend in Australia when we were home doing the citizenship work for our kids, which uh, the main take-home point was terrific. They talked about the loss and how loss is involved in the adoption story, the, the loss of the birth mother, the children's loss of their genetic family, but their biological family, and usually... Adoptive parents have a story of loss um, related to infertility often. We did have miscarriages and didn't have our own children, but my husband and I were both very for the idea of adoption when we went ahead. And uh, we married at 32 and we got our son when I was 40. Melinda, tell us a little bit about your adoption story and the preparation process behind that? 
My Australian husband and I met in India and we were involved in various projects with an international NGO. Um, and so we stayed there a long time because we both really felt comfortable in India, loved being there, had excellent friends and um, felt like we could contribute in worthwhile ways. And so it was very easy for us to bring that love of India to our children. I had read a book called The Colour of Difference about transnational adoptions and was very struck by the story of a Thai girl who just hated her own skin, who hated her culture, um, growing up in an environment where her culture was not really valued. And so I was more for adopting because we had that love of India sort of so deeply ingrained in us. And uh, talking even with my daughter today, she really values that. And um, both of them have this understanding of their own culture because they spent um, 10 to 12 years there and had wonderful aunties and uncles and... So I feel like one of the um, downfalls of international adoption that is that you don't necessarily grow to love your own heritage and we managed to bypass that, not necessarily through clever planning, but just because we really, it just happened like that with us. And I always relished that though and still do relish the fact that my kids know that some of my best friends are in India, are Indian people from all different backgrounds. So that I think is a, a rich thing for our children. And as a as a kid myself, I used to say I want to go and live somewhere in a different culture and really get to know the people. I was really anti being a tourist and superficially looking at buildings and stuff and just wanted relationships and I've always been interested in other cultures so I feel like my whole India experience whether it's um, my work there as a social worker or my children just uh, my friendships has just very much enriched my life I just can't imagine living in the same neighborhood I grew up in and not having this um, sort of in-depth immersion experience in another culture I feel like it's been incredibly enriching for me and I'm glad that it's good for my kids as well. From your perspective what are some of the challenges of transnational or international (laughs) cross-cultural adoption? Um, You asked about the uh, downfall of international adoption apart from the thing of taking kids out of their culture which if you follow the Hague Convention, the, the sort of protocols for adoption is always to try and keep kids adopted in their own land and if not from non-residents. So people from their own uh, culture or place who've moved overseas, so Americans, uh, Indians living in America, for example, might adopt an Indian kid and only then if these kids aren't able to find a home in their own culture, then they're offered outside their culture to say, you know, white Australians like us. But um, overall with adoption, I think the very biggest thing that I've learned from our whole journey and from observing my kids, even as little ones and different moments of grief and rage is, is that taking children away from their biological parents is a really big deal. And there's an incredible book called The Primal Wound, if you're interested, um, 
that explores this quite deeply that helped me understand some of the attachment issues my kids were going through and the goal is to build a healthy attachment whether you're biologically a parent or not and and uh, attachment brings a lot of wholeness to a child and so there is this deep loss this um, wound I believe and I've I think over the years I've come to see it even more almost like a sacred thing that that um children's biological roots are so deeply important and I I feel like there's a bit of a false narrative out there about adoption as like a fairy tale and you've rescued this kid from from their poverty or whatever and given them a happy home that doesn't acknowledge the depth of that um wound and recently I got my daughter to sign up to an adult adoptee support group and the woman who ran it commented on the fact that wow, your mum encouraged you to do this. She was like surprised because a lot of adoptive parents don't want to face that fact that there is a wound and that there are challenges for their adopted kids, no matter how wonderful you might be or think you are. That wound is always there and it needs to be um, acknowledged. And, And I've always made it very clear to my kids that they can talk about it, that I honour their birth mothers, that um, even though we don't know anything about them, but they gave them their life and it's a very precious thing. And so my daughter gets, uh, she's much more outspoken than my son about these things, but she gets very hot under the collar when people kind of preach this fairy tale narrative about adoption because it leaves kids um, unable to deal with their feelings of loss and grief and and uh, adoptions do also go wrong, just like biological parenting goes wrong. But adoptive kids already have a start in life that's naturally quite painful. So I think it's really important for anyone going into adoption to really think these issues through and to be ready for anything. Because I have a lot of adoptive parent mums and dads and the children react very differently to their adoptive story, uh, their adoptive situation, just like your biological kids can be incredibly different. One can be really open, one can be really private. I have that too. I have a very private kid and a very verbal kid who tells me everything. And so the same with how kids process their loss and their grief and their rage. Um, I have stories I could tell, but I I can't because I'm speaking personally and I can't tell the stories of my children, but things that I've watched them go through. And if I was clever, I would have disguised it and said a friend or something. But yeah, things that they've gone through that that have been very intense, even as very little ones, the, the sense of losing their birth mum or why did their birth mum give them up and it is a very deep and painful thing. And so if you get involved in adoption, you need to be ready to support your kid through anything. And you need to be ready for those feelings to flare. And you need to be secure enough to not be more worried about your own feelings than theirs, because they do have this whole extra layer of stuff in their life to work through. And it's been interesting to me as my kids have become teenagers how they especially my daughter again has reflected on this how she wished she had looked like me so one thing they both we both we get looked at a lot so my son isn't as dark as my daughter 
and my husband is more of an olive colour and I'm very fair. So especially when my daughter and I are out and about, we just get looked at, whether it's in India or in Australia. People just look at us and we, we're kind of startlingly different in our looks, but, but you can also see how well attached we are. So often in India, people would look kind of fondly at us because of that, like they were sort of touched at the love that we have between us. And I do think skin colour does make a difference and it, and it sort of, it did sort of minister to people. I didn't adopt to be a skin colour activist or anything. I just noticed this along the way that somehow it meant something to people over here. I think here we just feel like we're a bit of an oddity sometimes when we're out and about. And even my son and I, we just, I mean, we just don't look like we're related. And sometimes, you know, if he's helping me because I have a bad knee or something, I think we're an odd pair. So you do, the kids just naturally get a bit more attention when when they're from a different race and they don't look like their parents. Another thing that needs to be mentioned with transnational adoption, but possibly any adoption, but there is an economy, there is a profit-making industry, there is trafficking. One of the young Indian adults I have sort of met via Facebook and followed suddenly found out that his orphanage had been involved in baby trafficking around the time that he was adopted. And I suddenly sort of had a panic and I thought, oh my gosh, have I adopted children who were trafficked? And there's a um, discussion around this, whether all transnational adoption should be stopped completely because it might be inadvertently promoting trafficking. Now, I know about my son's story and, I, and I'm sure he wasn't trafficked and I'm sure that he needed a family to love him. My daughter, because she was abandoned, I don't know, I think... I, I tried to, as a social worker, I was aware of these issues. So they did actually show us a newspaper ad that they're supposed to do when, when a baby's abandoned, they're supposed to advertise in the local newspaper. I wish I'd kept a copy of it. Um, yeah, so I did my best. But honestly, sometimes I wonder, especially about my daughter, you don't want to do anything that promotes trafficking of children or encourages people in poverty to give up their children. As a social worker, I feel very strongly we need to do everything we can to keep children with their parents. I have worked with kids in slums. They're growing up in a slum. Their parents love them. It's not an easy life, but they have a, their mum and dad who care about them. And, and our Western view of what's in, unacceptable should not be allowed to override the value of being with your birth parents. So that's another thing. It's a huge topic to explore, but I just wanted to make a note of it because I think it's very important. And the whole sort of push to stop um, orphanage tourism, foreigners visiting orphanages all over the place, it's kind of like this... Um, danger zone where sometimes kids are trafficked and they actually make money through the orphanages because Westerners aren't wise sometimes and just feel sorry for them. At the same time, all over the world, there are kids who are desperately in need of a new home and desperately need that love and stability and commitment that a family gives them 
and sometimes if it's in a completely different culture that's better than being stuck in some really awful orphanage I the place where my kids were was pretty bad um, I'm sure they were doing their best but very under-resourced and and not a lot of care and attention was given to them my daughter especially was quite neglected and underdeveloped for her age so yeah I it's just something to do with great care and research and um, there have been some dreadful orphanages in India that are fully run as a money-making industry and uh, we went through a local government run orphanage that the police used for abandoned kids and I feel like even though it was a worse place maybe my kids had less nutrition and less and more health issues because we adopted from there I feel like it was less likely to be a money spinner as well so yeah I love being an adoptive mum I can't imagine life without my kids from as a woman who didn't have kids I feel just becoming a mum just opens part of your heart that never um, would have opened. It's just a different thing being a mum and honestly two greatest joys of my life I would say as being is the two is our two kids. I I work in um, family support in Australia now and I do believe foster parents are desperately needed and there's other ways to invest in kids for people who don't have kids I firmly believe that we don't have a right to have a child so sometimes all the um the stuff that's going on with sperm donation surrogacy this whole area bothers me because I feel like it's about people's often about people more about people's selfishness that they want a child and um my daughter as an adopted child feels very anti-surrogacy because it's a whole system set up to design you to take your child away from their birth mother. And it doesn't matter the source of the sperm and the egg because the, the child is in that womb listening to that voice and connecting to that woman even before she's born. So this is sort of my motto that no one has a right to have a child. But there are a lot of children who need love and attention. And, and even if it's just providing respite care on a weekend for a kid, but being a regular person in their life or taking them on a Saturday, there's so many ways to use that yearning to be a parent in the life of a child without encouraging their removal from their biological parents so um, maybe this isn't exactly what you expected if you were going to listen to a podcast on adoption I just um, this is my take on it right now yeah thank you for sharing your perspective and these are some hard things to hear and you know just understanding what you and your family especially your kids, what they've been through and what so many adoptees go through and yet are kind of sometimes treated like, like not like a little trophy or something to show, um, you know, especially for white um, adoptive parents of, you know, what good people we are and we're saving these poor kids out of poverty. And so thank you for touching on those really important issues that this is actually really complex and really can be very destructive Um, So thank you for um, sharing with us, Melinda, and just really appreciate you. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
and listening to these incredible stories. I would love to hear from you. Have you been adopted from a South Asian background, from India, Nepal, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, Pakistan? I would love to hear from you and hear your story. Or are you, do you fit somewhere else in the mix? Or are you a South Asian parent who is on the journey of adoption? We would just love to hear your stories. So please write into us at jessica at invisibleindiapodcast.com. Be sure to check out our website, invisibleindiapodcast.com for photos and all of our social media. We've been sharing images of these different interviewees with the exception of Mahi because they are, they are in the process of adopting right now. So they cannot legally share photographs of their foster daughter. Check out our social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Go to our website and sign up for our new newsletter. So go ahead and check that out where we're going to be providing updates and freebies will be coming from that as well. So thanks everybody. Until next time. The music for the Invisible India podcast is performed by Christopher Halen Sitar and Ed Henley on Tabla on Rob Bhimpalasi.